As I said earlier, we begin a new sermon series today for the next five Sundays called Making Meaning, Reconciling Expectations and Experience. We'll be looking at the stories in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which are also known as our primeval history. While many scholars agree that these stories were written down when the Israelites were in exile, they represent some of the oldest oral tradition and narratives of the Jewish people. And so today we begin with the beginning, the story that countless Jewish people and later Christian people agreed ought to be the foundational story of the entire scriptures. And you heard me with our children say a very abbreviated version, and so we're going to read the whole text now. And I invite you to listen for the different images that are held here. Our reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3. Listen now for God's word to us. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. 
and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer, we ask that you meet us here in this story. Show us the goodness that we need to see. Quiet all the distractions within and without and lead us in the way that leads to life. Amen. So I want to thank you for your patience with that long passage. I don't think we read it all the time in, in worship. We do little snippets here and there, and there is something that we miss when we don't hear the refrains of it was good, and God saw, and God did, and it was good. So I wanted to include that whole cadence there as we explore the story together. I'd like to start with a word about the sermon series in general and then kind of narrow our focus on this story. I mentioned earlier that these stories were likely written down when the Israelites were in exile, even though they represented oral traditions from generations before. And I think for some of us who might not be Bible nerds, (laughs) like those who've gone to seminary, it's easy to kind of lose track of the thread of the Hebrew scriptures and kind of how the Israelites got to where they were. So as a brief reminder, what would become the nation of Israel came from one family, Abraham and Sarah. Throughout all of the drama of their family and their uh, development, eventually the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt and suffered for many years. Moses encountered the presence of God in the wilderness, was guided by God to deliver the Hebrew people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And it was on the other side of the Red Sea, in the wilderness, and their newfound freedom, that God gave God's people the Torah, essential wisdom about how to live. Those messages from God became the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. God knew what God's people had gone through, and God's very first words to them contained stories and best practices for community life, and a blueprint of sorts of what it looked like to be in relationship with God. 
So over time, the Hebrew people started to identify as Israelites from their ancestor Jacob. They became a nation with prophets and judges, kings, and wars with neighboring nations. Eventually, a nation named Babylon conquered them, took over Jerusalem, raised the temple, and took many Israelites back to Babylon to live there in exile. In a world and a culture where gods were connected with geography, where God's power was demonstrated in impressive buildings and cities and decisive military victories, the Israelites in exile were facing a myriad of existential crises. It was likely that all the hardships they had experienced resulted in many people believing that God had abandoned them. I wanted to walk us through that history here. I'm skipping major chunks there. (laughs) But to walk us through the highlights of that history there, because it shows us that for this text, there's not just one context that we're looking at. There's actually two very important layers of context for this creation story and for the rest of the stories in this series. First, this creation story was written down while the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. There's details that echo other primeval stories of other cultures in that time, but there's some radical differences. So in many ways, all the stories of this primeval history section of Genesis functioned as kind of a reflective autobiography, a memoir of sorts of the relationship between God and the people of Israel. They were looking back, they were taking years and years of oral tradition and condensing it and making decisions about how to write it down and communicate the fullness of its meaning. The stories in Genesis, these first 11 chapters, were not written on a post-it note and stuck in a book somewhere. They were very consciously and intentionally crafted. The other hugely important context here was that these stories were given to God's people directly after their exodus out of Egypt. God was speaking to people who had endured years of suffering and abuse. God was speaking to people who felt distant from God, abandoned by God. And God spoke words of healing, words that signaled a new beginning. The gift of the Torah communicated the most essential aspects of God's character and the new life to which they have been called. So these stories that we will explore over the next few weeks in this series were the Israelites' way of making meaning. It was their way of reconciling their expectations of how they thought life was supposed to go and how God would act and their experience of what actually happened and how God actually acted. Their fundamental understanding of who God was and how the world worked was shifting both right after the Exodus and while in exile hundreds of years later. Just one more word here about the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and we'll get to the creation story. Throughout history, Christians have often read parts of the Bible quite literally. We like a simple formula that tells us what to do. And when certain scientific insights have arose, we have gotten threatened and scared and destabilized because God works in a uh, nuanced and nonlinear way in our lives. That's what spirituality looks like but we like certainty and clarity, especially when we're having a hard time. So for a long time, Christians have treated the creation narrative as if it were a logical and scientific explanation of how the world came to exist. But God's people on the other side of the Red Sea were not concerned (laughs) with atoms and cells and how things were created. 
scientifically. They were focused on this powerful God who had delivered them from slavery and suffering. They weren't interested in explaining how the world worked in a scientific, logical way. They were telling a story about who God was and how God related to the world. The same was true of those who wrote those stories down while in exile. They focused on who God was, how God related to them, even when their life experience implied that God had abandoned them. So this is a story. It's a theological reflection. It's an attempt to understand God and themselves. It doesn't make it any less true than a science report. But it's not a truth that can be measured and proven by some objective experiment. It's a truth that has been measured and proven by thousands of Jewish and Christian people throughout the centuries who have said, yeah, I've experienced God like that too. So we're going to be doing a lot of detective work together, some exploration and some asking questions. What are these stories responding to? Why did they matter so much? Why were they written down when there were all kinds of stories of God working with people? So for our story today, the story of creation, what was it responding to in the lives of the Israelites? What did it tell them about who God was and how to live? This story was a story that brought healing to its listeners. And there are two things that communicate that really clearly. The first is this refrain of, it was good, it was good, it was good. God enjoyed the work of creation. God delighted in what was created. Over and over, it was good, it was good, it was very good. The creation stories of nearby cultures at the time often depicted the gods as violent and capricious. In those stories, God's created humans to do work that they didn't really feel like doing. Humans functioned just as laborers doing the grunt work that benefited the gods. They had to cater to the gods' whims and desires just to have enough food and be protected from their enemies. Can you see the difference in this story? There is one God, powerful enough to make all that they could see and imagine, and one God who created for the joy of creating. It was good, it was good, it was good. And then after humanity and animals were created, God saw that it was very good. God had shown the Israelites both on the other side of the Red Sea and in Babylonian exile that they were beloved. They weren't created to be laborers or enslaved. They weren't despised or tolerated. They were enjoyed. They were called very good. And the second is the way that the concept of Sabbath and rest are threaded through this story. It's really easy to miss in the English because it looks like Sabbath only shows up at the end, but there's all of these word choices and structure and cadence in the Hebrew that shows that it's all the way through. It's really technical, and I'm not going to get in the weeds with you about it today, but the podcast that we're looking at on Tuesday nights gets into it, and it's fascinating. But the point that we need to know today is that Sabbath is actually threaded through thematically the entire story on purpose to show the Israelites how important it was to pause, to rest. Those who were enslaved and had heard over and over for generations that they were despised and less than human, that their lives only had value when they could work for others, that their worth was tied to their productivity, this was a story of healing. God wanted them to stop, to pause, to rest, to be reminded that they, their worth to God was just by existing, not by what they did. And the same for those in exile. 
In response to all of their justifiable fears, God told them a different story, a new narrative. A God who saw goodness in all of creation, a God who rested and enjoyed creation not for what it could do for God, but just because. It was intrinsically valuable and worthy of love. So they, God had given this story to the Israelites on the other side of Exodus. They had written it down while in exile to remember a truth that they cared about. The facts were still the fact. They had been conquered. They were in exile. Everyone else looking at that situation would interpret that as God leaving them and failing them. But how they talked about those circumstances made all the difference. They told this story instead, that God loves, that God enjoys, that God delights. And so I wonder what kind of season uh, you are in right now. What's hard about this season? What are you feeling weary about or afraid of? Where in your life are you being told that your worth is connected to your productivity, that God has abandoned you or despised you? I wonder what story of healing that you need to remember, that you need to hear, that you need to write down, that will remind you what is true about God and yourself. The one thing that kept coming out to me, as I've said, was this refrain of it was good. In the creation story, God rested when God's work was complete, but in other ways, it was still a beginning. God wanted to keep creating, keep collaborating with his creation that God had made, but God had also found a stopping point. He recognized that it was good, but it also wasn't quite static. God made humans in God's image with free will and the capacity to create. There was potential. There was a future waiting to unfold. So why this refrain of it was good? Isn't goodness evident? Isn't it obvious when something is good? Just like the way the idea of Sabbath is threaded through this story, so is a rhythm of creating and pausing and noticing goodness. I think sometimes humans have a hard time noticing goodness in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of a story that's still unfolding. We're always searching and striving for some kind of static perfection. We think that once we get this amount of money in our bank account or that job or this relationship figured out or that house or this project done, that we'll finally be content and we'll be done. We can take a breath and relax and rest. We strive for goodness as a destination, as a place that we'll arrive at and then be done. But God is showing us in this story that that's not the life God has designed for us. That's not the life that God lives either. There isn't one final accomplishment that we're working toward. There is work and rest and enjoyment of goodness. And then more work and more rest and more enjoyment of goodness. There's a rhythm, a refrain, a way to live a life. I want to close with this example that might seem a little silly at first, but it's been sticking with me lately. And while God shows us this rhythm, this way of living on this side of heaven, I don't know if we'll ever get it totally right, but we get to practice. So this is my example of practicing. As some of you know, I had foot surgery earlier this spring in May, and I have been forced to rest a lot longer uh, than I anticipated. And recovery is going slowly, but good, but still a little too slowly for uh, for what I would like it to look like. 
And in our family, uh, house projects tend to take forever, and I had some time off, and instead of resting some more, because I've been kind of trying to rest this whole time, I wanted to close this loop on this very small house project. <laughs> I wanted to be done with painting one of the bathrooms. That was my goal. And all that needed to be done was like some touch-ups and trim, which is very precise and not my forte. But I wanted to be done, I wanted to close the loop, so I worked hard, it seemed to be done, I put the paint all away, but then I went back the next day and I saw like, oh, I had missed this spot, and I had missed this spot, and there was a chip over here, and I had to decide, do I get the paint out, do it or not? So I went and got the paint out and I did it again, and what was funny was that I had the hardest time stopping, and even I was taking my stuff on the way to the sink, I had decided the bathroom was finally done, on the way, and on the way, I'm seeing all these chips and the baseboards and the trim on the way to the kitchen. I'm like, well, that would just take a second to just kind of fill that in and just a little bit over there. And like all of a sudden I was painting the baseboard of the whole dining room. And there was a moment where like I had to stop and say, okay, this is, this is good. It's good enough for now. And it was still really hard. But once I did... Once I stepped back and looked at the whole picture, I saw the goodness there. I could stop. I could rest and enjoy. Sure, there's still things. There's still more trim that needs to be painted. There's still more stuff to do. But for now, it's good. It's good enough. Not just enough as in like, eh, it's fine. It's good as it is right now. We work, we rest, we enjoy the good. It's so hard to see that sometimes, but that's what God is showing us in this story. This story shows us that God delights in us, that God created humans and saw that they were very good, that our worth and our value and our belovedness by God is not based on our capacity, not based on how much of my trim I got to paint, <laughs> but on our existence, our identity is created by God. That's, that's it. We are designed to stop, we're designed to rest, we're designed to look for and name the good and not just rush on to the next thing. And we can do this, we can stop ceaselessly striving for static perfection because God did and God still does and God goes before us and beside us to show us how to live. What a gift. Thanks be to God. Amen.